0: Welcome to Business Resilience Decoded from Disaster Recovery Journal and Asfalis Advisors. Now,
1: here's your host, Vanessa Vaughn-Matthews. Welcome to Business Resilience Decoded. I am your host, Vanessa Vaughn-Matthews, the founder and chief resilience officer of Asfalis Advisors. We have an accomplished guest lined up for you today speaking on the topic of public-private partnerships. Let's jump right in and meet our guest, Dan Schreider, the business continuity manager of Quick Trip. Dan, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you very much for the invite. I appreciate being here.
1: <laughs> Dan, can you tell our listeners more about you and how you got into the world of business continuity?
0: Well, I stumbled into business continuity. Uh, my background is I'm retired from the army as a personnel sergeant. Uh, that doesn't tie into uh, risk management yet. But after that, I went to Viterbo University, and got my degree in human resource development. When I went to the civilian sector, I was working as HR generalist, Then Mm -hmm. safety. Safety eventually evolved into risk management, and here I am today in risk management.
1: So what I hear from your background, tying it back into our topic of public-private partnerships, is you've been understanding people for a long time. (laughs)
0: My intent was to understand people for a very long time. (laughs) That's why I kept uh, changing jobs.
1: (laughs) So people definitely tie into that because, you know, public-private partnerships, you really, yes, it's organization to organization, but it's also people to people. It's that
0: communication factor between two people or multiple people, knowing and understanding, listening to what they need and trying to deliver a product to help in time of need.
1: Awesome. So, did you go from the military to Quick Trip, or did you have some other places?
0: <laughs> I, I had a little uh, stop. Uh, uh, worked for a company called Wispack in Lacrosse, Wisconsin, a soft drink manufacturer. I was there for seven years. Company was struggling a little bit. Uh, when the director came to me and said, "What's wrong with the place?" I said, "You're top heavy." I told. I said, "You're top heavy and you should probably cut some people." And they turned around and said, "You're right. Your position's cut." <laughs> Silver lining. It was the best thing that ever happened. I am now with a company that I love Monday mornings. I love going to work. I love the people who I work with. I love the people who I interact with. It's really a lot of fun.
1: And Quick Trip is a family-owned business, right?
0: That's right. Quick Trip, uh, is Quick Trip with a K is a family-owned business. It's uh, set up for the fifth generation. Uh, still the owner, the original owner is still with the company. The board of directors gives them green bananas. He's allowed to buy green bananas. They want to keep him around. He's 83 years old. Wow! And uh, what a wonderful family to work for.
1: That's amazing. And it's rare that you meet people that love Monday mornings.
0: <laughs> yes, very rare. <laughs> but I still love Fridays also.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. So business continuity for a family-owned company. Tell me more about what that's like. And I'm asking because some of our listeners, their background is in government. Some of our listeners, they're in the private sector or they're working with a publicly traded company. But for you, you're working with a family-owned business. Is it similar? Is it different?
0: It's the same difference. I would like to use that term. We don't, Quick Trip, and that's Quick Trip with a K, we don't have to have a business continuity program. But back uh, 11 years ago, the company is expanding and growing leaps and bounds. As an example, when I started 17 years ago, 6,000 co-workers. Today, we're at 23,000. Wow. So that transition from a small family-owned business to a major corporation, the owner realized that we are heading in that direction, or his company is headed in that direction. And therefore, he decided uh, 11 years ago to bring in the business continuity program just to protect the assets and to continue to provide a service to the community.
1: Wow. So it was at the 6,000 employee mark, which is interesting because we talk a lot about, well, when do businesses or business owners, when do they start to pay attention to business continuity? And a lot of people say it's when you start to get over a thousand employees, people start to say, hey, (laughs) what are we doing? How do we make sure we have sustainability and uh, continuity?
0: Oh, that is correct. What they had done prior to the uh, creating the position it was a decentralized process yes they did have ideas on business continuity but everybody was in their own little world they knew what they had to do there was some interaction but it wasn't managed but it was on the radar that they had to do business continuity more so was the relationship with the community because the communities we serve were experiencing many issues tornadoes power outages floods and knowing that QuickTrip knew that we had to respond to those needs back then. 11 years ago, they decided to centralize the process.
1: We're here at DRJ, Fall 2019, for those of you who are listening. Um, So I actually have the pleasure of sitting right in front of Dan. And you're going to be talking about public-private partnerships at this conference.
0: That is correct, yes.
1: So I can't wait to hear about that. So my question for you is, uh, when when did you start building public-private partnerships at QuickTrip with a K? And why?
0: As I said, it was uh, many years ago uh, before my time. But once I built the position, um, I was given the job and I was uh, wrote my own job description. I added that in there because the vice presidents, the directors that were taking care of it on their time had more important things to worry about strategically. Mm-hmm. So putting public-private partnership into the business continuity sector allowed me to focus 100% of my effort Besides the business continuity side of the company, but also maintaining those relationships, it helped me build my program and made my program starter stronger. It just built that trust that we have now between the communities and QuickTrip.
1: Yep. So there was a key word that you said when I first asked that, that question and you said you started building them from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I think my takeaway is relationships don't have a start and an end point. And you've been building relationships your entire career so you've been leveraging those right
0: that is correct some of the counties and even at the state we have very strong relationships but there are other counties that know of us and sometimes i have to make contacts to them and say hey remember quick trips there if in case you need any uh, if you have a problem and those conversations having the conversations early on and continuing with those conversations to make sure because uh, not every community is going to have a flood or a tornado. But just as long as we continue with those conversations, reminding them that we're there to help, helps build those relationships that when it does occur, they know they could turn to QuickTrip and what we could provide.
1: Awesome. So, Dan, how big is your team?
0: I am one deep. You should see my staff meetings.
1: <laughs> Are they lonely?
0: <laughs> <laughs> that windshield does not like me. <laughs>
1: So from a time and resource perspective, how do you maintain these relationships? And the reason why I'm asking, you are not alone, right? There's a lot of people in this discipline who are a team of one, and you have a lot of roles and responsibilities. How do you continue to build and maintain relationships that are sustainable?
0: One thing that we realize uh, when I talk with the emergency management there are four essential retail services that are needed in the community to recover uh, quickly. They need fuel, food, banking services, mainly cash, and pharmaceuticals. The convenience store industry can provide three of those, three out of four of those uh, uh, resources. So knowing that I do spend a little bit more time than a normal person would spend on public-private partnership because of that critical need. In my job description, it's about 5% of what I do. It's really not that much. It's just every now and then making that phone call to that county emergency management director saying, hey, remember Quick Trip. Every now and then that county will come back to us and say, hey, we have a tabletop exercise. Can you come and join us so we can learn together? So it's not a lot of time that's spent. Other industries that are not as critical, using that term critical for the essential retail services, I would say 1% of the time would be spent. It's Mm -hmm. not that much, but having that moment in time to talk to emergency management, have that conversation is still very critical and do it on a regular basis.
1: Yeah, so that means you have to be willing to bring those soft skills Mm -hmm. into play. And that goes back to your human resources background.
0: (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Spend a lot of money for that training. (laughs) I hope so.
1: (laughs) So how do you recommend... For professionals to quote unquote sell the value of these relationships to leadership. So you fortunately have a leader who sees the value in business continuity and they recognize the ROI that public-private partnerships bring to Quick Trip with the K. However, what if you are somebody where their leadership just does not understand? What's your, you know, one or two tips that that you can give them to sell the
0: value? To quote Don Zitlow, our owner, it's the right thing to do but to take it to the next level it's very simple your business your organization is just not in the community it is a part of the community yes maybe you have a plan to get your business operational and your coworkers or your team back together operating but if the community can't come together if the community is still struggling your business will struggle so with that partnership together Your business and the community can rise up from the ashes from whatever the flood, tornado, whatever it is. And it is a quicker response and recovery, and it will be better for everybody in the long run. And that's the key thing. It's not for the business reason. Everybody in the community benefits from a public-private partnership.
1: Right. So I used to have a little bit of time with... Craig Fugate, who was a former FEMA administrator under the Obama ad, administration, and he came to a conference at Savannah State, State University. And one of the things that he talked about was if QuickTrip can take care of QuickTrip, if Verizon can take care of Verizon, if Google can take care of Google, your city and your county can take care of everybody else. And so how do you, how do you help corporations to understand? that perspective, right? And, and how can I help my employees in times of crisis versus everybody relying on our, on our public sector, which we all know they're strapped for resources. They can't do that.
0: I'm sorry to the government officials. <laughs> I was about to say we cannot rely on government to recover. As you said, they only have so many resources. They could find all the sand and sandbags in the world for the flood, <laughs> but they don't have the staffing to fill the sandbags put them on a truck, deliver to a location, and put them in place. As I said, yes, quick trip with a K, yeah, retail services, it's it's a no-brainer, it's understood. Uh, Department of Homeland Security went to uh, NACS, National Association of Convenience Stores, and asked us to put together resiliency plans for the convenience stores because of what we bring to the table. At the same time, industry should do the same thing. Take it one step beyond, What about when there's a lost citizen, Mm -hmm. a missing person? How many times have we seen on the news people walking through the fields with a stick looking government can't do it. Yeah. It takes the uh, public, the private side stepping forward and saying, Hey, I'm here to help in some capacity, have that conversation. What can you bring to the table? What are the gaps that management emergency management has? And together we'll find a common bound common bound somewhere.
1: Can you share a success story for Quick Trip with a K as a result of a public-private partnership?
0: There are several. Most of it has been dealing with, uh, if you heard the news, uh, the tornadoes that hit northern Wisconsin this past uh, July. uh, Communities were devastated with long-term power outages. We donated water and ice to those communities. And we even did, uh, to some communities, we don't have a footprint in and it's because it's the right thing to do. The second one is, um, I hope I don't tear up on this. Uh, we have a very strong relationship with Outagamie County in Wisconsin. And in May, uh, firefighter Lundeen was murdered as he was responding to a, an opiate, a person who was overdosing on opiates. Wow. That person shot and killed him. And the outpouring for the community, it made the state news, I don't know if it made the federal news, national news, but the Friday before the funeral, I got a call from Outagabe County. They're expecting 3,000 firefighters there. Would Quick Trip be willing to donate water, ice, snacks for the funeral for the firefighters? And it was a no brainer for me. I wanted to say yes, but I had to check with the, uh, the powers to be. I made the two phone calls. Within 15 minutes, we had the approval. It took a longer time because I got into a side conversation with one person. We called the county. It was changed to 1800 firefighters. That Monday morning, we had a driver deliver the food and the ice had it all set up and left. It was the right thing to do. And that is why I appreciate, I love my Monday mornings. The company knows to step up and help when people are in need.
1: Yeah. And I think it, which this this all is tying back to your background, but
0: it it all goes
1: back to people.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yes.
1: You do business with people. Yes, yes.
0: <laughs> it, it, we have to, uh, and I think most people understand that uh, the interactions have to be face-to-face, they have to, even phone calls, I will call them face-to-face. We have to talk, we have to communicate, we have to understand our strengths and weaknesses, we have to work together. And that's why it's a very important that if a person is to develop a public-private partnership, it's not gonna take a lot of time, maybe in the beginning, to set up those phone calls, depending upon where the business's footprint is located. But once it's established, you just put it on the calendar every other month, make a phone call. Maybe every six months, make that phone call. Keep that communication going with emergency management.
1: I love that. So relationships are reciprocal. Mm -hmm. Uh, What key elements does every public-private partnership need?
0: As I stated, that communication factor. Perfect. We need to talk together. Um, give you an example, uh, on Wednesday, I'm supposed to be at a tabletop exercise at Marathon County. How did I get invited to that? I made a phone call to them and said, oh, yeah, that's right. Quick trip. Yeah. Please, can you attend? I said, what day is it? October 2nd. I said, I'm in Phoenix. <laughs> but we'll be there. And I'm going to have a district leader attend, and I'll call in. And we're going to make sure it happens. It's nice. just having that conversation.
1: Yeah. So it, it's just one word, folks. Communicate. so so let's counter that question what red flags should listeners be aware of when developing these relationships
0: I don't think there are any red flags now yes from the business side you might be fearful oh government I can't trust government (laughs) they're not going to be stealing uh, your ideas and sharing them with others they're there to learn from you so they know how to respond yes you might have a similar business sitting on the side Yeah, you may be in uh, uh, competition with them when the sun is shining, but when there's an event, you're not in competition anymore. You're there as a common core to help the community respond and recover, then go back into competition. So it's it's really, I don't think there are any red flags.
1: I love that. Yeah, because what I hear from you is if, if you can impact people, people can impact communities, communities impact cities, cities impact regions, regions impact nations.
0: You said. You want to be at my presentation? <laughs> I'd love to.
1: <laughs> so, uh, Dan, where can our listeners find you?
0: Behind a desk.
1: <laughs> in Wisconsin?
0: In Wisconsin. With in some La- really in, good in, cheese? In, 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 in La Crosse, Wisconsin. <laughs> Very big city. <laughs> uh, my contact, uh, if you want to give me a call, is uh, 608- 793 or my email is dschreiter at quicktrip.com, and that's very simple, d-s-c-h-r-e-i-t-e-r at k-w-i-k-t-r-i-p.com.
1: Well, there you have it. Thanks for tuning in to Business Resilience Decoded with the Disaster Recovery Journal and Asphalus Advisors. Subscribe, share, download, and look out for future episodes.
0: Business Resilience Decoded is produced and edited by John Seals. For more information, visit drj.com decoded and asphalusadvisors.com decoded. Write to us on Twitter at drdecoded.